Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. Whether you are live streaming or whether you're live, I'm Talbot Davis, the pastor here. And as always, I just love being able to connect with the people of this community. And this is week number two of our series. Some people get all the breaks. And, and as if you're with us last week, you might remember. And if you weren't, just catch you up to speed very quickly. Some people get so many breaks, they actually get broken by the breaks they've received. And the source for this entire series, message series, is the book of Ecclesiastes. And it, uh, so if you have your Bible with it, today's message, which is called Broken Hearts, today's message comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate. Maybe you have, your, your, uh, you have a Bible that looks like this, and you can find Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Or maybe it's loaded on your phone, and so you can scroll there. Or maybe you don't have either of those options. The words are going to be up there on the screen like they always are at just the right time. And, and we do all of that. We encourage you in all of that because uh, there's a couple of vital things that we believe about the Bible here. And for some of you, you will have never have heard what I'm getting ready to say. And for others of you, you've heard it a lot. And we've just decided these are things that are worth repeating. But one of the things that we believe about the Bible at Good Shepherd is, is that although this looks like a book that I'm holding in my hand, the Bible is absolutely fundamentally not a book. It is a library, a collection of a lot of books written by many authors over a long span of time. And the most interesting, most relevant aspect of all this, a lot of different writing styles. The book of Ecclesiastes is really its whole new, unique kind of writing style or genre, as they would call it. And I'll get into that in, in just a moment. Written by Solomon, who was a king about 3,000 years ago. And that's just a fact. A lot of people don't know it. It still is a fact. Not book, is library. The other thing that we believe about the Bible, it, it moves into that realm of a, a, a deeply held conviction that we have in leadership of this church and, and you may share it. You may be like, yes, thank you for saying it. Or you, or you may still be exploring it. I'm not sure I'm with you, Talbot. Either way is okay. But here's what it is. We believe that there's no other library that is like this one. That in a way that we don't fully understand yet, but we, we believe it happened. God breathed his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages. We believe here that the Bible really is inspired, eternal, and true. And out of that belief, we do something unusual when we're talking about the Bible of this church. We lift it up. And that's just our, our way. And, and if you haven't been here before and, you, and you've seen phones in the air and Bibles in the air and it just kind of strikes you as odd, we admit it's odd. But we kind of like being odd because we've discovered that this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. That we are a collection of people who don't have everything figured out and don't have our lives all put together, but we know who has authority over our lives. Amen? Amen. And so before I say any other words, let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. And, and I just, Lord, I thank you that the Holy Spirit who inspired Solomon to write Ecclesiastes that same Holy Spirit is good, and He's alive, and He's active. And so I ask that you would, in, in a new and a fresh way, just help that Holy Spirit inhabit me today for this message so that it would be exactly what the people of this community need. In the strong name of Jesus, I celebrate that I'm powerless without Him, but because of Him, I'm never helpless. 
Amen. So I, uh, today's going to be pretty great at Good Shepherd because I, out of the goodness of my heart, I'm going to do you all a huge favor. Isn't that great? I, I, uh, uh, because my heart is so good and I'm just going to do the, a huge favor for all of you. And the favor that I'm going to do for you is that I'm going to show you the quickest way to break your heart. The, the favor I'm doing out of the goodness of my heart is to give you a shortcut to breaking yours. Because broken hearts are a big deal, aren't they? I mean, there's a broken heart emoji, for goodness sakes. You can, you can see these emojis all over the place. Broken hearts are such a big deal that Al Green, some of you may remember that classic soul song where, where he asked in this falsetto voice, how can you mend a broken heart? Broken hearts are, are such a big deal that, that, that both Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones had songs, separate songs called Heartbreaker, two very different bands with two very different songs with the exact same name. And some of you are like, I don't really know much about soul music. I don't like rock music because everybody knows that's from the devil. What about country? What about country music, Talbot? What about country music? And I hadn't forgotten y'all, come on. Because who could forget that he who begat Miley Cyrus had his own achy, breaky heart and if, if you didn't, if you're too young and you never heard that song, you're just blessed and highly favored. And <laughs> so yeah, broken hearts. Maybe you're not too young. Maybe you still didn't hear. You're just lucky. Broken hearts. Broken hearts are everywhere. They are a big deal. And whether it's rock or soul or rock and soul or country and rock, whatever, the broken hearts are such a big deal. I don't know if you know this or not, that they are cross-cultural. Meaning that people have used the term broken hearts to describe what happens to human beings in the, in the face of great loss, like losing someone you love, in the, in the face of a, a great broken romance, someone you love, they, they don't die, but in, in, in some ways it's every bit as painful. They break up with you, you, you lose that love of your life. And, and that understanding of calling the human response to those events in your life, a broken heart, it transcends cultures. It's like all people of all times, whether it's the ancient Israelites writing the Old Testament, or whether it's modern people living in the Solomon Islands in the South Pacific, or whether it's people in the 15th century in Europe, we know that in what is today Europe, we know that people have always used this term, my heart broke, to describe the physical sensations that happen to us in, in the face of, of losing someone we love or, or having a relationship that we value disappear. And, and the physical manifestations of a broken heart, they, they include things like a tightness in this chest and they, they include thing, things like shortness of breath and constant fatigue. And for some people, even thoughts of ending their own lives. And so again, I just want you all to realize what a great favor I'm doing because I'm giving you a shortcut to get there. You, you, you don't have to have someone break up with you or you don't have to wait for, for someone who, who you love to leave this earth. There is in fact a shortcut to a broken heart 
And the reason that I know there is a shortcut to a broken heart is because we see it right in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, in fact. And again, if, if you're with us last week, you may, and we're paying attention, you may remember, and if, and if you weren't with us last week, it, it's okay. The book of Ecclesiastes is written by about 3,000 years ago, 1,000 BC or so, by Solomon, who is the son of David, the same David who slew Goliath and wrote Psalm 23, and Solomon is, is his son. And Solomon, talk about being a guy who catches all the breaks. I mean, every break you could possibly catch, Solomon got him. He was born into a royal family. He was born into wealth. He was born into privilege. He was born into prestige. He had plenty of romance. I mean, this guy had it going on. And earlier in his life, he, he writes what, what we might call, in, in retrospect, the streamlined book of Proverbs. And, and Proverbs is, is, is a very easy, uh, among biblical books, books in the biblical library, Proverbs is among the easiest to understand. It, it means precisely what it says. You live right and you will be blessed and you live wrong and you will be proven to be a fool. That, that really is Proverbs in a nutshell. And Solomon wrote it. Well, at some point after writing the book of Proverbs, this same king, the same guy who, who catches all the breaks, he enters into a very different season of life. And he offers to us the book of Ecclesiastes, which is this bewildering mishmash of stream of consciousness, of memoir. Really, it, it reads like a therapy session. And, and we're the counselor. And Solomon's the guy on the couch pouring out his heart in a way that doesn't always make sense. And, and, and the, the book is, unlike Proverbs, is very difficult to understand. And, and we don't always know what's going on. And the narrator isn't always trustworthy. That's a different sermon for another time, like maybe next week, I don't know. But, but the end result is that when you, when, when you understand what kind of book we're really looking at and, and you realize what kind of state of mind Solomon is in when he writes it, you realize that what is at first glance bewildering is ultimately so liberating and such an act of kindness on the part of our God. And, and for today, Ecclesiastes chapter two, Solomon shows us how the other half lives. And, and you know who the other half is. The other half is anybody with more than you, more money, more relationships, more travel, more, more bling, more swag, more cool. Anyone with more than you is the other half. And, and today, Solomon really shows us how the other half lives. Look how it starts in chapter two, verse one, where he says this. I thought in my heart, meaning I, 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 I thought to myself, I, I pondered in my mind. Some of you may have a translation that doesn't use that precise wording, uh, that might say, I thought to myself, we're, today we're using a translation that says, I thought to my heart, I, I reason with my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. I thought to my, myself, I'm going to subject you to, to a test, heart, but how much pleasure, how much good stuff, how much more can you really endure, heart? And, and, then, and then in verse 3, Skipping down there, he gets very specific in what he's going to do. I tried cheering myself with wine, 
and embracing folly, my, still, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. Wait, you, you, you cheer yourself with wine and you think you're still have a lot of wisdom? Okay, I tried cheering myself with wine. So there's wine that he's gonna add to his heart. And then skip down to verse eight, and he's gonna show you something else that, that he's gonna test his heart with, fill his heart with. Verse eight, uh, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I inquired men and women singers and a harem. You know what a harem is. I, I mean, I've had a couple in my life, a harem. No, a harem is a collection of women for a king. So he's got wine, he's got women. You, you, you know what's coming next, right? Uh, uh, skip back up just a sentence in verse eight. I acquired men and women, what? Singers. I, I tested my heart with pleasure. I got wine, I got women, I got song, I got everything all the time. I'm thinking to my heart, heart, what do you want? I want more, I want wine, I want women, I want song. I'm not gonna deny my heart anything that it wants. Whatever your heart's desire, it shall be granted. And what else, what's more that Solomon is able to do? Look at verses four through six. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. So wine and women and song and infrastructure. It, it doesn't really flow off the tongue all that great, but because Solomon is king, he can make all these infrastructure projects come to class. It's kind of like stimulus package and, and build back better with some, some rock music and, and, and some wine and some women all thrown in for good measure. It's like Solomon is living this life, everything all the time. He's looked at his heart and he said, what my heart needs is everything that it ever wants, more pleasure. I'm gonna test my, I'm gonna test, I'm gonna test the limits of my pleasure endurance and see how much pleasure I can take. And, and I don't know, you might not be a king and you might not be able to snap your fingers and, 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 and be able to make sure that public works projects start just because you snap your fingers. You may not have ever had a harem but I do suspect that for some of you, when, when you've considered your heart, you've considered, well, I'm not gonna deny my heart anything. You've come to see relationships as conquests. Or every new race comes with a new toy. Or maybe it, it, it's not relationships and it's not stuff, but it really is travel. You, you believe that Travelocity commercial where you and McGregor asks at the very end that it's not so much about what, what you buy, but where you go and you've decided to go all in, go, 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 go. It's as if you can never, you can't have enough experiences and you can't have enough relationships and you can't have enough possessions. Whatever your heart has wanted, whatever thought enters your mind, that's the place where you've come to reside. And I love Solomon's summary of, of all of his approach to life and his heart. You see it in verse 10. Look at his summary for everything he's talking about. Verse 10, I denied myself nothing my heart desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. 
My heart took delight in all my work and this was the reward of my labor. I refused my heart no awesome, delicious, delectable, disastrous. Because what is the result of this man's quest to give himself everything all the time? What's the outcome of, man, I'm gonna test the limits of the endurance. What can my heart take? In terms of pleasure, where does it all lead him? Skip down to chapter two, verse 17. And so, there's causation after all this. And so I hated life. And so I hated life. I had everything, I had everyone, I went everywhere, I denied myself nothing, and the more that I had, the more that I amassed, the more that I achieved, the more, the, the more experiences that I experienced, the more miserable I became. And so I hated life. And what it lets us know, Good Shepherd, is that the quickest way to break your heart, I mean, we look at this guy's life, we look at the description he makes of his life, and we're like, sign me up, this is so good, you really did get all the rakes, I want a life just like that. And Solomon is like, no, 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 no. I am not your role model, I am your object lesson. And so I hated life, because the quickest way to break your heart, friend, is to give it everything that it wants and nothing that it needs. If if you want that shortcut into a broken heart where you can say with Solomon, so I hated life, you give that heart everything it ever wanted and nothing that it truly needs. And so much of your life just snapped into focus. And and you've realized that Ecclesiastes 2, 17, and so I hated life. That could be you. You, you, you. you could have written these very words and you know the truth that how I am doing doesn't depend on th- how things are going because things are going great and you're still miserable. And it turns out you didn't even have to have someone break up with you or someone you love die. You didn't have to go through any of that to get to this place of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. You just had to give your heart everything that it wanted and nothing that it truly needed. See, these words are, are some of the saddest in Scripture, the saddest of all time. They're, they're, they're the soaked in the gospel. And so I hated life. But there's some of the kindness as well. I'm so glad that they are in there. Because isn't our God good? He, he allows these emotions. He allows this cynicism to be in the permanent record. I mean, when we lift up the Bible here, and we really do believe that God breathed life and truth into its words We believe it is inspired and eternal and true. And what God did, he inspired a book that would leave in the permanent record a a, a, a listing of this man's depression. 
What a good God we have because he knew that there would be people going through those same seasons of despair and those same seasons of depression. And maybe you didn't have to, you, you didn't even have to lose somebody you love or you didn't have to have a breakup in your life to get to that place where your heart was broken and you hated life. Maybe you got there all on your own or maybe you got there by spoiling your own heart rotten. All I know is that God includes this in the permanent record almost as a way of saying, I'm not showing you this, my son or my daughter, to fix you. I'm just showing you this to let you know that I know, as your Father in heaven, I know exactly what you're going through. So yeah, these words look so sad at first glance, but, but when you dig deeper, they are just filled with the love of God, a God who's so good, who knows what his people are going to be going through. Because the quickest way to break your heart is to give it everything it wants. Nothing it needs. It's why those of you who are parents, you, 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 you know this, that giving your kids more stuff, it very rarely leads to more gratitude. Can I hear an amen for that? Indulging your kids does not build their loyalty. It breeds their contempt. And what's true of, uh, of raising your kids is true of dealing with your heart as well. And in, in, in fact, the, the way that Solomon gave himself everything all the time, the way that he did not, I, I'm not gonna die, deny my heart any pleasure that it ever wants. It makes me think of, a, of an addict who is on this endless search for the next best high because no high is ever as intoxicating or no encounter is ever as exciting. No bet is ever as energizing. No cut is ever as relaxing as the first one. And addicts are on this endless, it's ever increasing consumption and diminishing returns. And they're always trying to capture what that first one was like. And Ecclesiastes lets us know just how futile and fruitless that look really is. I love these words. They're so filled with kindness. God inspires, he puts it in, this, in the permanent record, the story of a man who broke his heart by giving it everything that it ever wanted and nothing that it ever needed. And he got to the place where so many of you are at even today. And so I hated life. The Bible is so much more interesting and actually so much more help. Who could ever say the Bible's not helpful or not relevant? I mean, I mean, the Bible in includes the words uh, that th th this could pass for what happens on a therapist's couch or in a psychiatrist's diagnosis room thousands of years before it entered our language. And, and, and we're just now catching up to the wisdom of, and the kindness of the Bible. And Ecclesiastes chapter two and Solomon's story and even broken hearts would be kind of a drag if that was the end of the story. And just so you know, Ecclesiastes as a whole defies a lot of our wishing for, longing for, happy endings and tidying bows. However, however, Ecclesiastes chapter two does in fact land at a very, very different place than it begins. Because after listing how he denied his heart nothing that it ever wanted and how he hated life as a result, 
look where Solomon, look at the level of maturity that Solomon arrives at in verses 24 and 25 of the same chapter. Look what he says. Puts it this way. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? I love that. Because what, what Solomon is saying is, I, I, I hated my life. And what we want, because we're 21st century people, we want Solomon to be zapped. We want him to take a pill. We want him to come to an altar. We want him to pray a prayer. We want him to make one decision and everything is all better. And, And instead, God, as God almost always does, when we're looking for a moment, we're looking for a breakthrough, God starts a process. That, that Solomon realizes, hey, I'm not gonna kick my despair and my depression overnight. It doesn't work that way. I'm gonna do the next right thing. I'm gonna take one massively small step after another. And I'm not gonna get fixed overnight. I'm not suddenly going to be better. I will gradually, by doing every next right thing, that's when I will be able to encounter the goodness and the grace of God. And, and, I, and I love that how, how counter this is to what we want and what we like in life. We, we, we're microwave. We, we want microwave spirituality. And God puts us in a crock pot and says, it's going to take a while. Hey, th- this is why, and, and, and I got something, something else I'm going to say in just a moment, but this is why Over 1,100 people connected with this church have decided to start their days every day in the word and not the world. And it's a whole community. And we don't say, just read the Bible, will you? No, we we come alongside you and we give you some daily insights so that you can understand what it is that you're reading. We're gonna, we'd love to have you, whether you're online, live stream or live, we'd love to have you sign up even right now, gsumc.org slash email. And you scroll down to reading prompts, daily reading prompts. It's so easy. And you sign up with your email. And tomorrow at 5 a.m., I can promise you it'll be there because I've done already written it. Tomorrow, you'll have in your email inbox, we're in the Gospel of Luke, and we're in Luke chapter 16. And so you'll be able to open up your scripture. You will start your day in the truth and the eternity of the word rather than the lies and the triviality of the world. And when you do that next right thing, when you take that massively small step day after day after day, hello, you find you no longer hate your life. Because look where Solomon ends up in verse 26. To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and happiness. It's awesome. And, and really, where, where it all lands us is this, is you, you broke your heart when you gave it everything it ever wanted. And you put it back together when you give it to the Savior it needs. You you broke your heart by giving it everything it ever wanted. And some of you have come in here today with hearts that are broken. And God is inviting you to give that broken heart to the, instead of everything it wanted, you give it to the Savior it needs. And the improvement isn't instantaneous. I'm not going to make that false promise. 
But I am going to say that when you take every massively small step, when you do the next right thing, you'll understand. You'll you'll understand how broken hearts are not our, don't have to be our destiny. They can instead be our opportunity to be different kind of people. Because I just love these words. I love the rawness of Scripture. I love the kindness of of putting in the permanent record of Scripture the the story of a man going through depression. I've told you this before, but it it bears repeating. It sounds flip, but I think it's true. Solomon wrote Proverbs when he was on his meds and Ecclesiastes when he was off them. How good is God? He knew there'd be people in both places 3,000 years later who needed exactly the wisdom to be gleaned from each book. And I love that in, in, in Ecclesiastes, we, he doesn't go around the depression, he goes through it. And those of you who are wrestling with depression today, you'll never go around it. You always go through it. And when you go through it, and when you realize that I broke my heart because I gave it everything it ever wanted, but I'll put it back together when I, when I give it to the Savior it needs. When you realize that, man, it, it won't be about all the things that you can buy. It's the fact that you're bought. It won't be about all that you possess. It will be that you're the possession. It won't be about the trophies in your case. It will be that you're the trophy in his. And it won't even be about all the trips that you can take. It's about the trip that he took for you from the cross to the grave and from the grave to the sky. How can you not lift that name on high? You broke your heart when you gave it everything it wanted. You put it back together when you give it to the Savior it needs. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that our lives are in you. And I ask that you would be putting back together broken hearts within the sound of my voice even now. In your name we pray. Amen.